Good to see everybody here tonight. Praise the Lord. Let's just pray a little bit before I get started. Lord, we just come before you and we worship you. and We ask you, Lord, to, to minister this, this word. Lord, let the Holy Spirit minister to each heart here, Lord. And we give you praise, Lord. I give you the praise, Lord. I thank you for meeting needs here, Lord, tonight. I thank you for the manifest healing in, in people's bodies and in their minds, Lord. Everything they need, Lord, I give you praise for that, Lord. I thank you that all things work together for good to them that love the Lord and are called according to your purpose. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We give you praise. We give you praise. We give you praise. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Well, I do have a word for you tonight. And uh, I, hope, I hope you did okay last week. Some of you were here last week, right? And, you, and you, some of you came back. That's good. <laughs> so, praise the Lord. I want to start off with this scripture that, that well, Isaiah forty thirty one, And, uh, you know, I told you last week, and I, I don't know if I got this message across, but I tried to get this picture. When I was in Guatemala in February, and uh, Marla Johnson, who, you know, Marla and Larry Johnson are evangelists there, and uh, they had invited me to come uh, spend a week there, and they said, we'll go up the mountains. We'll see some village churches. So Larry's on his way up the mountain. He's shifting gears, and he's got it in four-wheel drive, and we're about to hit the grades. And uh, it's on a Sunday morning. You know, it's just like you go to church on Sunday morning, only we're going up a mountain, and they don't grade the roads, and so you're, you know, you're bouncing and all this kind of stuff. And Marla looks up, and she points off to the left and up, and she says, see that cloud there? That's where we're going. <laughs> and one thing I noticed about it, when we got up there... Uh, you know, it was misting rain, and as the cloud was go, the rain cloud would go over the mountain, it would cause rain to fall in that part of the mountain. But then down below is just dry as can be, just dry as can be. So it, up on the top, it was more like a more like a jungle type, you know, dark green plants and and you know more lush and everything. But when I got up there and we actually got into the cloud. I didn't really realize I was in a cloud anymore, you know. I mean, from a distance, I could see it. I could say, oh, there it is. And, but when I got into it, I, I somewhat lost the, the recognition of it, you know. I just wonder sometimes if we don't lose the recognition of what is inside of us, you know. We are the temple, you know. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost resides in us. And so I want to go back just a little bit. I don't want to talk about Moses uh, so much today, but I want, to, I want to go back just a little bit on that subject. And uh, in Numbers 9.18, in Numbers 9.18, it talks about how the tabernacle was raised up. And it says, Now on the day that the tabernacle was raised up, the cloud covered the tabernacle, the tent of the testimony. From evening until morning, it was above the tabernacle like the appearance of fire. So it, always, so it was always 
the cloud covered it by day, and the appearance of fire by night. Whether it was two days, a month, or a year, that the cloud remained above the tabernacle, the children of Israel would remain in camp and not journey. But when it was taken up, they would journey. Now that's, uh, that's a very restricted travel itinerary, right? Stay with the cloud. <laughs> Keep focused on the cloud. If the cloud rises up, if the cloud starts to move, it's going to be time to move. Now, we have a whole nation of people. We're not just talking about a few hundred people. We're talking about a million, five to two million people. Uh, I want to correct one thing I said last week. I think I said there were 30 people came into uh, Egypt in, with Jacob. But, but the scripture says in Acts uh, chapter 7, it says there were 70. So 70 people came into Egypt back during Joseph's day. And then over 300 years later, then we get into the story of Moses. And God brings those people out of bondage in Egypt and takes them across the Red Sea and does all kinds of miracles. And then we, we wind up with uh, Moses coming down with the law and then the tabernacle being built. And this is the scripture where we, we're talking about. When the tabernacle was raised up, the glory cloud would reside over the tabernacle. And the people had to stay with the cloud. They actually had trumpets that they would blow. Uh, it says two silver trumpets in, in chapter 10 of number, Numbers, Numbers chapter 10. And they would call them to order. So they had an organization of how to move all of them. And there were certain signals about when to meet with just the leaders and when to meet with all the people and who would go first. And so it, was, it took quite an organization to actually travel. Uh, and they were going to the promised land, right? Yeah. And so Moses took a, a position of being uh, an intercessor. And I think I tried to make this point last week is he took a position of being an intercessor between the people and between God. Because when the people sinned while Moses was up on the Mount, Mount Sinai, Aaron had made a golden calf, and God was very angry with the people. Because they had even said, they made the golden calf, they had even said, okay, well, this Moses, we don't know what's become of him. Because he was up there 40 days and 40 nights. He was up there a long time. And so they got a little impatient, and so they, they made an idol. And they started worshiping this idol. And because of that, God was very angry with them. And in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 9, I found this scripture, Deuteronomy 9, 25. Moses is saying, Thus I prostrated myself before the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. I kept prostrating myself because the Lord had said he would destroy you. Therefore I prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord God, do not destroy your people and your inheritance whom you have redeemed through your greatness, whom you have brought out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and do not look on the stubbornness of this people or on their wickedness of their sin, lest the land from which you brought us should say, because the Lord was not able to bring them to the land which he promised, and because he hated them, he has brought them out to kill them in the wilderness. Yet they are your people, your inheritance, whom you brought out, by your mighty power 
and by your outstretched arm. Okay, so he's, he's uh, isn't that powerful? I mean, that's powerful. He is really face to face with God, isn't he? And he's bold. He's bold. And he's taking a stand and he's saying, uh, you know, God, you, you got you to gotta, you gotta have mercy on these people. You know, we got to give them another chance. We got to, you know, we got to bring them together here. Uh, these are your people. And so he took this position of an intercessor. And I, I want to go back to this uh, scripture, Isaiah forty thirty one. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So when we wait on the, on the Lord, it's, it's natural for me to think, well, that's, that's for me. I renew my strength. You know? But I'm, I'm, I'm asking the question, what is that strength for? What is the power for? What is this mounting up with wings as eagles? What, what are we actually doing there? Well, we're, we're going to the Lord in a spiritual, we're going from a supernatural standpoint. We're not natural here. Isaiah 40, 31 is about spiritual, supernatural. And this is about going into the realm of the Spirit. And it's about praying and praying out the things of God and waiting before the Lord to renew our strength for what he's got for us to do, right? For what he's got for us to do. And what has he got for us to do? Well, we're going to wind up being intercessors. Every one of us, right? Every one of us, we're going to want... And, but before we do that, somehow we have to get our mind off of this temporal, sense-based world. Now, I don't mean we can just, you know, walk around in a daze or something like that. You know, that's not what I'm talking about. But, uh, but we've got to be, we've got to be people who have wisdom. Wisdom that comes from the Holy Ghost. Wisdom, that, you know, where the Holy Ghost speaks to our spirit. And we pick up on things in the spirit realm. And we begin, like Joseph knew things that were going to happen. I'm talking about Joseph in the Old Testament. Uh, uh, in, in Egypt. Jacob's son. And he knew things that were going to happen before they happened. And so, I wanted to talk to you tonight about uh, waiting on God. And how it proceeds, or it comes before. Demonstration of God. God wants to demonstrate some things in the world we live in today. He wants to do some things. And and I think a lot of times I need to I need to know that God loves me and he's going to take care of my needs and be able to intercede and take up a a bigger picture. You know, small thinking keeps you small. <laughs> Big thinking uh, allows you to go higher and do do bigger things. Uh, in Psalms 40, verse 1, it, the psalmist says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. He brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and he set my feet on the, on the rock and established my steps. He has put a new song in my mouth. Praise to our God. Many will see and fear and will trust in the Lord. Now, this is, this is somebody going into praise mode here, right? Waited on the Lord. 
I got me a new saw. In other words, I kind of got past my problems. Now, that doesn't mean I don't have a problem. But I got past worrying about them. I got a new song now. Okay? So I'm out of worry mode. I'm starting to think a little more like God now. Okay? And this other scripture that I want to come back to is Colossians 3 and verse 1. And I can't, I can't get past this one. I just keep reading this over and over and over, and it just, it just speaks a lot to me. But in Colossians 3, 1, it says, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So this, this scripture says, seek things that are above. And then it comes in and says, set your mind on things above, not on things on earth. I mean, you know, when you listen to the news or, you know, you, you want to be relevant. You want to know what's going on. And I don't think this is all about, oh, let's, let's dig a hole and put our head in the sand. That's not what this is all about. This is really saying you just look at things through a lens that comes from above, you might say. Like, like step, think of it like this. I'm going to step into the cloud, and, and I'm, I'm going to look kind of down on things, and I'm going to get God's perspective on things. I'm not seeing a different world, the same world. God looks down on this, this terrible earthquake and tragedy that occurred in Nepal and that area, and, and he sees that, Right? But he's, you know what he's thinking? You know what God is thinking? He's thinking souls. Souls. And, and you know, and, and some people are probably saying, well, God, why'd you let this happen? Well, I don't know the answer to all the questions. I, I don't. I don't know the answer to all the questions. I just know that God knows what to do, when to do it, and how to do it. I also know that the world we live in now is a fallen world. And because it's a fallen world, there's a lot of stuff going wrong. Even nature seems out of whack because of this thing. And so, until things get back focused on God and people stop the sin and stop the ignoring God and saying irrational things, really, you know, like, all the scientists and all the theory of evolution and all the all the craziness and still people until people get back on track and truly repent of their sins and, and there's a change uh, we're not we're not going to see a lot you know we're not going to see the things they're supposed to be the way they're supposed to be and so uh, let me go to uh, so so here's my train of thought, okay, if you can follow this. I'm looking for somebody in the Bible that waited on God, and I'm looking for somebody that got results. I'm looking for somebody that did something big, demonstrated God's power, and, uh, and so I come to this man named Elijah. That's where, that's the man I 
I discovered, okay, when I asked that question. So in James 5.16, now in New Testament, James 5, the subject is confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And then James starts talking about Elijah. It's almost like, well, he's in New Testament. Why is he going way back? But he goes way back to Elijah's day, which is probably 800 years or more before Christ came. Okay, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Praise the Lord. So, did Elijah get a word from God that it would not rain? And then he just parroted out that word. He just spoke that word. That's not what James is saying. James is using him as an example of an effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man, isn't he? He's associating a powerful man of prayer with Elijah. So, no doubt Elijah prayed, and he was concerned about the, uh, the nation. He was concerned about the world that he was living in and what was going on, and... Uh, and he was looking for what God wanted at that time. And so he, he, he put himself in a position of prayer. And you might say, God answered the prayer. And God stopped the rain. He stopped the rain. Now, in... Uh, let's see. I want to go to uh, 1 Corinthians 2. Okay, 1 Corinthians 2, 4. This is Paul talking. And it says, And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So what I see here in this man Elijah was I see, I see a man that has power. He is a powerful prophet of the Lord. Okay. Now, he lived in, in uh, a time, Elijah lived in a time when he was in the northern kingdom in Samaria. And the king was Ahab. Ahab had a wife named Jezebel. And that couple had turned the whole nation to worshiping Baal. I mean, they had idols. And, and so the whole nation was basically worshiping idols. And they turned from God. Okay? So there was really no hope for them to receive things from God, do the things God wanted them to do, be the nation they wanted to be, the whole nation was turning. They even had 450 prophets of Baal that were promoting this and promoting this, this 
idol worship. Uh, I found one commentary on this, and it says, It was a crucial time in the history of Israel. It looked as if the worship of the true God might be completely eliminated in the northern kingdom. The land swarmed with the priests of Baal and the groves, proud of court favor, glorying in their sudden rise to power, insolent, greedy, licentious, and debased. The fires of persecution were lit and began to bury, burn with fury. So we, we have this setting. Here's Elijah, and there's great persecution going on. And they're, they're killing the prophets off, you know, Ahab and Jezebel. So there's great persecution, there's idolatry, and Elijah now is thinking that he's the only one left. So he's feeling alone, and he's feeling somewhat outnumbered, and he sees his nation is basically falling apart. So in 1 Kings 17, 1 Kings 17, it says, And Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. And then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Get away from here and turn eastward and hide by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. And it will be that you shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. Now, uh, we are not ravens, right? We're not ravens. God can control a bird or a fish or an animal. He can make something do, even something against its own nature. The, so the word says that these ravens came. And so, uh, well, let me back up just a minute. So what Elijah did, he went to Ahab. And he tells him that it's not going to rain. And he says, it's not going to rain until I say so. Now, that's pretty bold, right? Okay? So now the problem is he's got to endure this drought himself, right? So now God gives him a word to provide for him. But the word is to turn eastward and hide by the brook. God is telling him, go hide. Go disappear, basically. So he does exactly that. He's ready to go. So he gives Ahab this really bad news. And then he takes off, and he goes to this brook. And so he's drinking this water from this brook, and these birds are bringing him food two times a day. Okay? So the miracle power of God, you know, to cause an animal who is a raven, who would eat, a raven will eat just about anything, anything. So the food that the bird is actually bringing is probably food the bird would like to have. But he stopped them and changed their nature. Another thing is that no one can track these birds. If you had people, and see Ahab and, and Jezebel, they're trying to find Ahab. They're trying to find Elijah. They want him. 
he's causing them trouble as far as they're concerned. Uh, so no one can track a bird. I mean, you know, birds fly over. So it was a perfect plan. Nobody ever found him. And then one day, the brook dried up. Now, I don't know how long he was by the brook. And I don't know exactly what he did while he was there. But can you imagine being, it says he was there many days. Can you imagine being there day after day after day, and you're the prophet. You're the man of God. You know, you're the one that's the mouthpiece. You know, you're supposed to hear from God and speak to the people. And all you're doing is drinking water and waiting for these birds to come. You don't have anybody to talk to except the birds. You don't have anybody. You know, it's just you and God. So don't you suppose he spent a lot of time talking to God? I think he did. I think he spent a lot of time talking to God, and I think God was preparing him for something really big, really big. And so then the brook dried up, and one of the things I respect about Elijah is he didn't just run. He didn't just take off. You know, he didn't come up with his own plan like many of us do. When Have you ever had your brick? brook dry up you know you maybe your job you lost a job or you had a transition of some sort or something interfered with your life something stopped uh you know your your relationship with your your sons or your daughters and something something went wrong and and you're saying god i i don't know i've got to have i've got to have help here i need my resources renewed I need a different job. I need to move from one house to the next. I need to do, you know, we all have these personal things and personal decisions. But what I see Elijah doing, I see him just stay by the brook. He got the word from God. He just stayed with it. He just stayed with it. He just stayed with it. He, he didn't change. And the brook dried. And he probably watched it go down to a trickle and said, uh, Lord, this, you know, this brook's dried up. And so God says, now he sends, God sends him to a widow in Zarephath, which is in Sidon. And I'm just going to tell you this, okay? Just talk through it. So a lot of you know the story. Anyway, the widow was preparing her last meal on planet Earth. But see, God had already spoke to the widow and already prepared her for Elijah to come. And so when Elijah finds the widow, he asks her, you know, to prepare him, you know, give him something to eat. So she's supposed to provide for him. She is the most unlikely person on the planet to provide for him, you know. Uh, but nevertheless, what well, God told him to do, so he did it. And so he asked her to prepare him a meal first before she actually used her last meal in the, in the bin and uh, her last oil. And so uh, she did that by faith. She did that. And it just restored. And so, uh, according to the word of the Lord, um, the, the oil never ran out and the flour never ran out during the whole drought until the rain came. That was what, so God, you know, made that, that promise to her. Okay? Then there was the, the item of the son. She had a son. Her son died. And it made her angry, and she actually accused Elijah. Okay? So Elijah's staying in an upper room. You notice that most of these guys always wind up in an upper room, you know. 
So he's in the upper room. And so Elijah says, give me the son. And he takes the son up in the upper room. And he laid over this boy's body. And three times he prayed. And on the third time, he came back to life. He picks up the boy, brings him back down, and puts him in his mother's arms. And then she knew. And then she knew who God was. You know, I mean, this is, is this a demonstration of the power of God? Is this, is this a life of somebody who waits on God and hears God accurately? Is this a life of somebody who is more self-focused? Or is he, is he certainly aware of other people? I mean, he's, he's out there aware of his world. And, and what kind of wisdom would, would cause a man to pray that there would be no rain? But it has to be something from God, from heaven, right? Because it's not normal, rational, logical. You know, but in, in sealing up the heavens and this drought, God is getting ready to do something. Praise the Lord. So, after a period of time, we know from the New Testament that this drought lasted three and a half years. So, that's a, that's a terrible drought. That's a killer drought. Three and a half years. No rain. No dew. Nothing. Okay. So, one of the interesting things is uh, when, when it was finally time for Elijah to go back and present himself to Ahab. It says, in, now this is chapter 18 now. So, in 1 Kings 18, it says, And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go present yourself to Ahab. And I will send rain on the earth. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. And there was a severe famine in Samaria. So. He went there to present himself. Now on verse 4 it says. For so it was while Jezebel massacred the prophets of the Lord. That Obadiah had taken 100 prophets. And hidden them 50 to a cave. And had fed them with bread and water. So you see. Elijah wasn't the only one. Was he? He wasn't the only one. He thought he was the only one. He acted like he was the only one. But he he wasn't the only one. And later scripture goes into telling us. That there were actually like 7,000. That did not bow their knees to Baal. But. You put 7,000 people and scatter them around Houston, you think you can find one of them? I mean, especially if there's persecution, they're probably being quiet. They're probably really not being demonstrative. So he probably did feel alone in his, in his stand to, to, to get the people to go back to God, to turn back to God, to repent. And... So then, uh, he's on his way to present himself back to Ahab because God told him to. And then, I'm in 1 Kings 18, verse 10 now. So in verse 10, as the Lord your God lives, there is no nation. And this is, uh, this is Obadiah talking. Okay, so Obadiah is saying, as the Lord your God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my master has not sent someone to hunt for you. And when they said, 
he is not here. He took an oath from the king or nation that they could not find you. And now you say, go tell your master Elijah's here. So Elijah was telling Obadiah, oh, go tell Ahab I'm here. And, A and Obadiah said, we have looked every place for you. We have looked for three, over three years, they've been looking for Elijah. It's like he just disappeared. And really, if you go by the map and you look at where Zarephath is, it's not all that far from Samaria. It's like in Jezebel's backyard almost. And he's right there, but it's the most unlikely place to go look. Where would you, why would you look for somebody at a little widow's house? You know, I mean, you just wouldn't. And, and I don't know why they couldn't find him at the brook, but they didn't. I guess the ravens worked. So this was an ingenious plan that God carried out to protect him. And this is, this is kind of humorous to me, verse 12. And this is Obadiah. And it shall come to pass, as soon as I'm gone from you, that the Spirit of the Lord will carry you to a place I do not know. So when I go tell Ahab, and he cannot find you, he'll kill me. But I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth. So Obadiah, finally after all these years, Elijah finally shows up. And he thinks he's, he thinks pretty highly of Elijah. I mean, he thinks he's spiritual. And he thinks, if I, if I leave your sight and I go away and come back, you may just be gone again. <laughs> and then, then they're going to kill me. And so Elijah, you know, assures him that he's going to present himself, you know, to Ahab. So then in verse 17, then it happened when Ahab saw, saw Elijah, that Ahab said to him, is that you, O troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, in that you've forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have followed the Baals. Now, therefore, send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel, the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah, who eat at Jezebel's table. You see, they're on the government payroll, right? They, they work for them. And they do everything they want them to do, right? Okay? And so he's saying, gather all those prophets and all of Israel. In verse 20, so Ahab sent for all the children of Israel and gathered, gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. And Elijah came to all the people and said, how long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal... Follow him. But the people answered not a word. Oh, no. This is not good. The people of God don't have anything to say. They, they're not saying, I'm on the Lord's side. They're not saying, oh, I believe in the, in the, in the Lord God. You know, No, they're not saying a word. They must have been frightened. They must have been afraid that they would go against the government. They would go against the rule of the land. See, this is the law of the land. Worship Baal is the law of the land. This is what you do. Okay? So then in verse 22, Then Elijah, Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Therefore, let them give us two bulls, and let them choose one bull for themselves, cut it in pieces, lay it, on the wood 
but put no fire under it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. Then you will call on the name of your gods, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. So all the people answered and said, it is well spoken. So they agreed to do this. But talk about boldness. This is boldness, right? This man has got to have a word from God, and he's got to know what he's doing. Because this is, this is a demonstration. He's asking for a demonstration of the power of God in front of the whole nation. Okay? <clears throat> now, so, uh, anyway, so then in verse, uh, and going down to verse 26. Uh, so, he, anyway, the, the, the way it was set up was that the prophets of Baal would put their sacrifice on the altar. They would put no fire under it. They'd call on their God. Then he would put his fire, sacrifice on the altar, put no fire under it. He'd call on God. Okay? So then, in verse 26, so they took the bull which was given them. So the prophets of Baal went first. Okay? And they prepared it and called on the name of Baal from morning, evening, even till noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice. No one answered. Then they leaped about the altar which they had made. And as soon as it was noon, Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud, for he is God. Either he is meditating, or he's busy, or he's on a journey, or perhaps he's sleeping and must be awakened. So they cried aloud and cut themselves as was their custom, with knives and lances until the blood gushed out on them. So, see, Elijah, he is, he's got a sense of humor. And he is so bold. Now he's mocking them. He's saying, your God must be meditating. He must be away, you know. And so, in verse 29, And when midday was passed, they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. But there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. Now, in verse, uh, then what Elijah did was, you know, finally he said, well, enough is enough, and it's time for me to make my sacrifice, okay? So what Elijah did, he did, he made it a little bit interesting. He built his altar, and he poured water over the wood. So he built up the wood, and he poured water over the wood and did it like two or three times. Soaked everything down, okay? Then he put stones around it. And he put stones around it to symbolize, I think it was the 12, 12 tribes of, of Jacob. And then 12 tribes of Israel. <clears throat> and then he dug a trench around it. And he filled the whole trench with water. So now there's no way for this to accidentally just ignite, okay? Because everything's soaked with wood, with water. And then, this is one thing I want you to see. When, when, the, devil is, when the devil is doing something, and he comes up against the power of God and the people of God, 
He has no voice. You notice that? It says, but there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. The devil has no voice in our situation. He has no voice in our life. Amen? When you're standing on your faith and you need a miracle, you need a demonstration of God, keep that in mind. When a thought comes to your mind that's not of God, rebuke that thought, let it go, because the devil has no place in the things that pertain to the people of God. This is all about God and what he wants to do, not about the devil and what he wants to do. So, we know that Elijah is a man of, that can pray an effect, effectual, fervent prayer. We know that he can probably pray long and, and, and really get a hold of God. And he's probably one that's very patient and waits upon God. Right, But what I want you to see in verse 36 is the simplicity of this prayer that he prays. It is not a big, long prayer. All he says is in verse 36 of um, chapter 18 of 1 Kings, And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you are the Lord God, and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. And then the fire of God, the fire of the Lord, fell, consumed the burnt sacrifice, and the wood and the stones and the dust. It licked up the water that was in the trench, Now, when the people saw it, they fell on their faces, and they said, the Lord is God. The Lord is God. Praise the Lord. You had a whole nation fall on the ground and repent and turn back to God because one man stood in the gap for this nation. One man. One man said, I'm going to get a word from God and I'm going to go to Ahab, and I'm going to give it to him. And he got this word, and he prayed this affection, uh, this fervent prayer. And he sealed up the heavens himself. He's just a man, just like any of us. And he, he caused the heavens to be sealed up, and it set up this situation where God could move and do something. And the people could see it, a demonstration of the power of God. This fire that came from heaven must have been powerful to consume all that water. This is not a normal fire. This is the fire of God. And so, so that day, the Lord had a victory, right? The people had a victory. Now they take the 450 prophets and they go and kill them. And they, turn, they began to turn this nation back to God right there on that mountain. Now, as soon as this is over, uh, just as soon as this is over, Elijah said, <clears throat> and this is verse 41, Then Elijah said to Ahab, <clears throat> Go up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of abundance of rain. You see, now that the people have turned back to God, 
It's time for rain now. It's time for blessing now. It's time for fruitfulness. It's time for everything that God wanted for these people. But it was, it was being held back because they were not repenting. They were not turning to God. But now that they repented, the heavens start to open up. Okay? Now, does anyone hear this sound of the abundance of rain but Elijah? I think he's the only one who heard it. He, where did he hear it? From the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. So Ahab went up to eat and drink. Well, Ahab, he's good at that. You know, you know, the last days will be what? Eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, <laughs> planting and building. And men are just focused on, you know, making money and building and going here and going there and making their plans. <clears throat> but here's a man, Elijah. He's got a different focus in his life. And so Elijah went up to the top of Carmel and then he bowed down on the ground and he put his face between his knees. Now, that's an interesting position. But he's humbling himself before God. See that? He's, he's getting humble before God. And so, and he said to his servant, go up now, look toward the sea. So he went up and looked and said, there is nothing. So what he was doing on Mark, Mount Carmel, I've not been there, but I think he's, he's going up to a higher place where he can actually see the sea because this mountain is right next to the sea. And so he sends his servant up. His servant goes up the mountain, looks, comes back down. No rain, no cloud. Okay. He does this seven times. So Elijah is, what is he? He's persistent, isn't he? He's persistent in prayer. I mean, it's okay to be persistent in prayer. This is biblical. I mean, Elijah knows that it's supposed to rain. He's told everybody that it won't, it won't rain until he gives the word. Now Elijah's given the word. <laughs> Elijah's now needing the heavens to open and for it to rain again. <clears throat> so on the seventh time, the servant comes back and he sees a cloud the size of a man's hand, just a very tiny little cloud. And Elijah gets really excited. And he says, that's it. <clears throat> and so he tells uh, Ahab to get ready because it's about to storm, it's about to rain. And Eli Ahab gets in his chariot and starts down the mountain. And they start down in this valley of, you know, down the mountain, down into the valley of Jezreel. And it says that Elijah ran before the chariot. He ran in front of the chariot. I, I look at that and I think, that sounds impossible. But he did it. And, and I wonder if that's more of a physical, uh, a physical uh, demonstration from God to help us see what God can enable us to do in this, when the supernatural is present, when the demonstration of God is present. All these things are possible. And you remember the scripture in uh, Isaiah 40. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. And that day, Elijah ran and he wasn't weary. Praise the Lord. Yeah. So, praise the Lord. What a story.
don't, don't we need a little power like that today? Don't we need to somehow turn our nation around? Don't we need to turn the hearts of the people back to God in our nation and around the world? Don't we have a serious problem in the last days with people falling away and people saying, well, Jesus, he's just not going to come back, you know? It's, it's something that I think the demonstration of the power of God is, is important today. And I think we need to be people who wait on the Lord. Because I really don't think all these things that Elijah did, I don't think he would have been able to do without staying focused, thinking on things that are above, not on things on the earth. Because if he'd been with everybody in the city or whatever, and they'd been out searching for water, he would have been just like everybody else. But he had a different focus. He thought on things that are above. In uh, 1 Corinthians 2, 9, it says, But as it is written, eye hath not seen, ear hath not heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit, for his spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things which have been freely given to us by God. So do we know that? Do we know what's been given to us by God? All, all things, all things, all things needed for life and godliness have been, it's like there's a treasure chest of things that God has given us to help us with in these days. And if I skip to verse 15, it says, but he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Praise the Lord. In Ephesians 1, 19, it says, And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his mighty power. In verse 22, And he put all things under his feet, and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. That's us. We're the church. And so we're the body of Christ, and he's the head. So shouldn't we think as he thinks? Of course. Shouldn't we coordinate with him? Shouldn't we be in agreement with the Lord? We have to, we have to really keep the flesh under subjection in these days. And we have to get our focus right so that we can be the body of Christ that we need to be. In John sixteen seventeen, 17. Uh, no, this is 13. 16, 13. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will tell you things to come. He will glorify he will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. 
Praise the Lord. So the Holy Ghost is ready and he's with us all the time. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, the Holy Ghost is ready to reveal things to us, to help us see the future, to help us know how to prepare, to help us know how to intercede, to help us know how to pray. And, and such a blessing. But can we recognize it? Can we focus? I wonder, is it possible we could be in the cloud but not really know it? Because we're, maybe we're too close, you know? And I, I want to close with this. In Matthew eleven twenty eight. Jesus said to this, he said, three things I want you to do. He said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Then the second thing he said, take my yoke upon you. And then the third thing, and learn of me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Praise the Lord. Psalm 91, 1 says, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Praise the Lord. Well, I just thank you, Lord, for everything you've done here tonight. I just pray that these words would, would penetrate our hearts. And God, go deeper than I've spoke. Go deeper, deeper, deeper. Lord, give us the full revelation of everything tonight. Help us, Lord, to hold up uh, others, to be, put ourselves in a position of being an intercessor, to wait upon you, to think on things above and have our mind renewed and uh, realigned with what your will is. And I give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. Yeah.